Welcome to Dr. Eric's Relentless Vitality Podcast. Our focus is on optimizing physical and mental vitality, maximizing performance, and extending lifespan. Dr. Eric is a licensed physician with a wealth of expertise in age management and preventive medicine, whose goal is enabling his patients to stay young, feel their best, and enjoy a higher quality of life. Andy? Yes. Hey, it's Eric Fate. How are you? Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. I was uh, just hanging out. I was clicking back and forth waiting for you to jump on. So is this, uh, hopefully uh, now it's still good. So how's your day been going so far? It's, uh, it's going, man. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I appreciate you jumping on the call with me. I know we've never met. I've just been uh, following you a little bit here and there. Following, uh, I follow a lot of people as, as you do, I'm sure. So um, uh, love to. looking forward to the call. So uh, hopefully you've got a little bit of time. And I don't know how much time you have, but just let me know when we're, if you need to go, and I'll, I'll try to keep it short. But I appreciate the time. Yeah, how, how long do you typically go? You know, it varies. Usually anywhere from 30 to 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. just depends on how, uh, how lively we get. <laughs> so... But, yeah, uh, okay, sounds good. I probably should be um, out of here, like 45 would be the top end. So if we can okay. go a little less than that, that'd be better. 35, awesome. 40 would probably be best. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, I, I, I pre-recorded an intro for you, which I'll, my media guy will add in later. But for me, I'm a physician out here in Ohio, and I do, I've do i done a lot of different things. I used to be an ER doctor. I do more of the um, health optimization, preventive health, age management, quote-unquote anti-aging kind of realm, I guess, so more into the nutrition, fitness, hormone replacement, peptide, PRP, that whole world um, is what I like to do. So um, I try to, I have a, a couple websites where I'm basically, uh, I do a lot of videos, educational things for my for my listeners. I just create them and pop them out there kind of like you do, but, um, and I've tried to make a, uh, a nice uh, series of podcasts. I'm trying to do more and more with guests like yourself, you know, basically people in their field that are, ta- you know, the experts in the field, nutrition, fitness, uh, you know, physicians, trainers, nutritionists, uh, you name it. So I just try to get a nice varied uh, approach for my listeners. Most of my uh, demographics are in the 30 to 50 range, you know, people that are either trying to maintain what they've got or uh, trying to get back a little bit of what they've lost or optimize their health, get get eating better, get working out better, etc. So that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell if that helps. <laughs> no, it does, man. It does. It's a ton. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I had a... Um, I had Mike Isretel uh, on a week or so ago. That was a great podcast. I had a lot of people listen to that one, so uh, I've been looking forward to getting you on here. For my listeners, I guess, I know I did a, a quick intro. If you, you don't have to make it a long one. Do you mind just, t- just saying hi and just tell me a quick uh, shout-out about yourself, where you are, what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So my name is Andy Galpin. I am the director of the Center for Sport Performance at Cal State Fullerton. So I'm a part-time scientist. I study human performance, specifically muscle physiology. Um, I'm a part-time, uh, of course, instructor and teacher. I teach everything from strength conditioning to human metabolism, uh, sports nutrition, muscle physiology, exercise physiology, things like that. And then uh, on the side of all that, I work directly with uh, professional athletes, typically from combat sports like wrestling, boxing, MMA. So a little bit of coaching, a little bit of research, and uh, a little bit of teaching as well. So that's the global overview of what I do. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you have a pretty uh, 
pretty light schedule then. <laughs> yes. Very, very, very busy. Um, I think that's really cool, especially working with the athletes. Now, you do, you've done a lot, and do you still do uh, martial arts jiu-jitsu yourself? I know you, you did for some time. I haven't done jiu-jitsu in a long time, actually, because uh, it actually breaks my heart and puts me into like a little mini depression, so thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I can't. It's, uh, I've had five operations on the same knee. Oh, really? Recently I had some stem cell and heart repair, and it just every time I go to roll, it just blows up. Oh, so uh, I am actively trying to get back as quick as I possibly can, but it has been a very long time since I've been able to do it without just blowing my into pieces. So. I hear. Has the PRP, the stem cells, has that helped at all or not as much as, not as quickly as you'd like? It hasn't. No, I really didn't do much at all. That's too bad. That's too bad. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to that. I was pretty hopeful, but it just, uh, there's been a lot of damage in the articular cartilage, particularly in the femoral head, and it's just, um, just don't know if it was, you know, there's just a lot going on, so I don't know. I hear you. Well, I feel, I feel that. I've done, I've dabbled in some martial arts through the years, and I used to do a lot of, uh, the rolling around the jiu-jitsu, ninjutsu, bunch of stuff too, and I don't do a lot of the ground fighting stuff anymore just because I had a, I injured my neck pretty bad I, to the point where I had a, a ridiculopathy, and it went away, but every now and then it just flares, and it's really, even when I'm lifting weights, it just, it, sometimes it's real sensitive, so I stick with the stand-up game, I do, you know, Krav Maga and uh, some things like that, but I don't do a lot of rolling anymore, but I do miss it because I used to wrestle, and, and like I said, I did the jiu-jitsu stuff, I loved it, but I'm like you, I, I miss it, <laughs> so... Uh. So, uh, in terms of what you're doing, I guess one of the, you know a lot of my my listeners are. Uh, I'd love to talk about metabolism and training a little bit. I know you've touched on that. You're, uh, I've I greatly enjoyed, and I've, I've told a few folks about your videos and you know, your YouTube. Your 25 minute, 55, 55 minute uh, uh, videos are, are are amazing. You do a, you do a great job on that, by the way. And I love the. I don't know if you do it or you have someone helping, but your animations and graphics they they're all they're all really cool. I I couldn't do that, so uh, kudos. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I'm, uh, it, it's a real passion project of mine, and it's uh, it's an amazing dead loss of time and, and money for me. But it's it's something that uh, I, I, people that are getting hold of it are tend to really enjoy and, and are liking it a lot. So it's something I'll continue to do for a long time. So I'm really I'm really happy to hear that people are finding value in it. Absolutely. What do you work with? Uh, one of the things I'd like to talk about is um, different ages uh, in terms of training. Um, I obviously work with a lot of elite levels. Do you do much training when, with younger athletes, you know, high school, college, or uh, more upper level college and, and professionals, or all of the above? Uh, well, all of the above. I don't do much in terms of high school. I mean, I've done things like uh, one day seminars and, and I've I, I teach a tremendous amount of my students who go on to be high school strength conditioning coaches, and I actually bring in a whole host of them into my classes as guest lecturers and guest speakers, things like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, for myself, I don't work like, directly with kids for a host of reasons, uh, but uh, the, the athletes I do work with span the age from 18 to 40 so or plus, so I uh, have quite a bit of experience in all that, um, and I was a at the Division One level, the strength conditioning for the time before this. So I've been the kind of gamut of 18 plus. I had a decent amount of experience. Gotcha. Do you see a lot of the athletes, are they still sticking with uh, different types of routines and uh, quote-unquote cross-training? Because I know there's a lot of, I see it a lot, I'm sure you see it too, a lot of, especially at a young age, really just early specialization that we're really focused on one sport. And, and I'm just wondering how detrimental or beneficial that is. What's your, what's your thought on that? It's extremely detrimental. 
Um, it, it is, it, whether you want to look at this from a physical perspective, whether you want to look at it from an actual sport perspective, or if you want to look at the research, the research is extremely and extraordinarily clear that the sooner you specialize, it's almost always going to have a net bad result um, in terms of sport performance, but as well as long-term health of the individual. So these are the type of athletes that have knees that are blasted to pieces like me at 25. Right, right. Yep. Uh, in addition to other things. So sport burnout, the psychology data is here, uh, the muscle physiology data, the sport performance, and their own long-term health. So it's really a very bad idea. Um, and I can make this even uh, worse, if you'd like, in terms of a lot of the athletes I work with, um, are, their primary goal is the Olympics. Right. And so the Olympics are every four years. And so really our game plan is they are what we call quads. Uh, so I'm not necessarily focused about peaking this year, for example, it's 2019. So the athletes I'm working with right now, our eyes are on 2020. And so when you're two or three or four years out from our primary goal, we're not doing the specific things that they need to actually train for. We're, we're actually doing very general, and they're doing a bunch of different sports, they're doing different activities, they're doing different movement patterns. As we get closer, say year two, and I, again, I'm saying year two, not month two, not week two, like year two, we start starting to get closer to specializing. And these are for people who've already been to the Olympics. Um, some of them are gold medalists already. And we're still going back and spending months at a time doing very general movements. We're doing a wide variety of things. So even at that level, I don't want to overspecify them because if I do that, they're not going to make it all four years. They're going to break before we get there or performance will just simply start going down when, when it actually matters and it start getting closer to the Olympics. So even at that level, we don't just specialize the entire time. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much more evidence we need to see in terms of that just being a very bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's kind of was, was my thought as well, just seeing, you know, just my, I've got a, you know, a teenager, he runs cross country and track and just seeing, you know, my younger boy, you know, his friends, you know, you know, a lot of kids, you know, start wrestling football, et cetera, at a young age, and that, that's kind of all they do. I mean, some of them obviously do do multiple sports, but I was just thinking about that as they get older in terms of you know, repetitive injuries and cross training and, and different things like that. So that's that's kind of my thought line too. Um, on a flip side, I guess I have looking at my demographic, you know, a lot of the patients that I that I see uh, in terms of the quote unquote older athlete, and that that age goes up every year, I think. <laughs> but uh, absolutely. Uh, do you modify? Uh, I know I'd love to talk. Get your take. Uh, we, I know I, I talked to Mike about this about you know hyper, obviously you know hypertrophy and um, uh, overall cardiometabolic fitness. But in terms of someone you know in the late 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, and especially if they're looking just to you know to keep that uh, you know muscle muscle hypertrophy going, overall cardiorespiratory fitness. Do you alter your training, and if so, how much? Uh, and I'm not talking about like your elite athletes, but your average if you if you see them at all in terms of altering training much or, or not so much uh, other than like recovery and more mobility drills, things like that? Yeah, well, first of all, whatever Mike Isertel said, do the exact opposite. You're probably fine. <laughs> Don't listen to a word that joker says. <laughs> I hear you. I'll tell So if you didn't listen to that episode, everyone, go back, listen to that episode, and literally do the exact opposite. You're probably fine. Gotcha. Um, of course, I just, Mike's fantastic. Good friend. Yeah. So, I don't know what he said, but here's what I will say to that answer. Uh, I actually think about for overall health, we need to look at a bit of intelligence in terms of physiology, and then we can also look at the research. And what I mean by that is if you look at what are significant predictors of mortality or well-being, it ends up being about three or four different things. So one is the total amount of muscle mass you have. 
Okay, so then let's make this easy. If that's one important thing, make sure one day a week you train for hypertrophy. Okay, number two, muscular strength. Absolute strength in your legs particularly is important. Uh, and in fact, oftentimes when compared equally, leg strength is more important for longevity and particularly wellness. So not mm -hmm. just being older, but being more mobile, living more independently. In fact, this is one of the most significant predictors of when you'll actually uh, have to go, not necessarily die, but have to go into assisted living is your leg strength. Gotcha. Okay, so then make day two of your, uh, of your week a strength day. Uh, foot speed and foot power is actually also significantly uh, correlated or related to longevity because you need to have the foot speed or the power to catch yourself from the fall as you age. And there's, an, there's a very nice adage actually that's um, as soon as you stop jumping, which is a kind of a fancy way of just talking about uh, doing explosive movements, as soon as you start jumping, you start dying. And if you look at the age in which people stop doing explosive and jumping, you'll see a, a sharp decline in physical function at that age. And so I would throw that in there. One yeah. day a week, do something for you know, power. Again, under total control and start small. It's, you know, progress very slowly. Of course, all these things. Uh, I'm not suggesting go out there and if you haven't exercised in six years to go out and you know, do a deadlift at your absolute max or to go try to jump over a wall. Like, let's, let's be reasonable here. Right, right. Uh, the last two pieces to this are VO2 max, which is, is, you know, critical. So one day for VO2 max. And I actually think that you can split kind of your endurance training up into two to two and a half kind of different things, which is something, whatever that means to you, that takes you up to a high heart rate could be spin class, you could do intervals, you could do uh, a circuit with kettlebells, you could go play basketball, you could play ten like whatever, something that you feel safe, comfortable, confident in that you can take to a higher heart rate and it's something that allows you or forces you to sustain a slightly elevated heart rate uh, for a continued amount of time, say 30 minutes or more. So if you put that together, that's really five different things to train for. Mm -hmm. Muscle size, muscle strength, muscle power, uh, high heart rate stuff, and moderate heart rate sustained effort. Now, most people don't exercise five days a week, don't have the time or ability, so it's fine. But you can combine multiple of those things in one day. Sure. So you go to the gym and you do, you know, 10 minutes of something heavy and then do a 15-minute circuit afterwards. Great. Right? Or go for a hike one day, uh, do some yoga one day, go to spin class, whatever you happen to be. And you can actually knock off two or three of these things at once. And so you can get all this done in two or three days a week of exercise. Um, and one of the other days a week, go for a long walk with your friends. Or like what I do oftentimes is I'll try to take as many of my phone calls as I can while I'm walking. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I end up walking for 45 minutes, an hour and a half, even sometimes two hours. I forget. I'm like, dang, I just walked for two straight hours. Like, All right, fantastic. That's sort of checked off. Right, right. So I don't know how close or far away from Mike's answer that was, but whatever his answer was, mine was better, I promise you. <laughs> Duly noted. Duly noted. No, and that's great, and it's, it's a, a great point about combining things, too, because obviously uh, a lot of people are 
you know, short on time and they're trying to pack it in. You know, I know I'm, I'm that way. I have, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes in the morning to work out and that's it. So I try to pack it in. Um, on a similar vein, what do you have any specific uh, strategy technique for uh, training for improving or maintaining or strengthening connective tissues, tendons, obviously, because especially someone who's new to weights, you could hypertrophy the muscles, but you don't hear or read too much about you know, working on those neuromuscular junctions, working on those tendons, the connective tissues. Are there any, any tips or strategies you, you've used in the past for that? That's actually a really good question. I, I very rarely get asked about that, so really good question. Yeah. Uh, yes, um, we have far less data on that, and so I'll have to say as we understand it now. Um, so we don't have a complete data set there, but it, it seems to be the best stuff in that area is uh, eccentric training. Mm-hmm. and or isometric training uh, and with a little bit longer time duration. So a good example would be, you know, do a, a wall squat for 30 seconds or do uh, an isometric push-up hold for 15 seconds, 30 seconds a minute, whatever. Uh, basically go down really, really slow. So this could also be a body weight squat, but just take 20 seconds to do one rep. So a very slow squat or 10 seconds or whatever you can manage. Um, same thing if you're going to do a split squat or a lunge, you know, do it at 5, 10 second rep. Uh, it seems to be right now, as best we understand it, that stuff is a little bit more effective for training that connective tissue. So again, yeah. you could combine this with your normal training. Sure. Right? So do, you know, two or three sets of this before you do your strength work and then mm-hmm. roll into it. So. You know, right. We're not talking much more than two or three minutes additional training exercise, right. uh, and just do the same body parts as warmed up. So things like that are, are really important to kind of help round out the body. Yeah, I agree. I you know I've had a lot of people you know talk about that in terms of flexibility or not just flexibility, but you know they're they're doing things that things are hurting or they're just having they're just something's not right in terms of their musculoskeletal system. And I and that's I read an interesting article about that as well. Same thing that you mentioned about you know, slow, you know, isometric holds, or if you're going to do like a, a full body movement, like a squat, like you said, very, very slow. So um, that's something I thought, huh, I'm going to look into this a little bit, because that's something I don't, you know, I don't do very often myself. And I thought I, it, just, it was a reminder to, uh, to focus on that too. I think it's very important because sometimes those are the, the weak links, you know, it's easy to, to work up your muscles, but if your, uh, your tendons aren't strong, you're not going to be able to do the motions. Yeah, I actually like that for two other reasons as well. Number one, it forces you to do what I call own that position. Mm-hmm. And so if you can do a 10-second squat and you can hold the bottom position or whatever position you stop at under control for five seconds, then I'm really confident that if I put some load on you that you're not going to just crash into a bad position or you're not going to uh, have some sort of compensation in that position. So yeah, number one, it forces you to sustain a position really well. Right, yeah, it teaches you control, it teaches you the mechanics and proper posture, uh, proper uh, full body tension, etc., which a lot of people don't, don't know how to do. Exactly, it's, it's really, really good, and it's, it's actually, it's pretty hard to do exercises poorly if you have to hold it for 15 seconds, because your body will default to going into the right position, typically. Correct, yeah, uh, good point, good point. I'm glad to make... The other thing I like about it is, sorry, um, I just wanted to make sure I finish that, number two yeah. is... Uh, it, it typically also makes your heart rate get up very high. So, and so here's another way where you can kind of combine different things. It's like, man, you hold that position for 30 seconds and you do two or three reps of that and you do three or four different exercises or movement pieces. 
boy, that, your heart rate's up pretty good. And so that's a 20-minute workout, and you got stronger, you got your connective tissue better, and you got your heart rate up. So yeah. it ends up being a pretty good exchange. That's true. That's true. Good point. Good point. Yeah, kill, killing multiple birds with one stone. I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was glad to hear you mention, talk about VO2 max. It's something I bring up to my patients a lot. I mean, a lot of studies, and I know you know this, have, have clearly indicated that, you know, the VO2 max is an excellent predictor of longevity, long-term health, uh, getting your Mets in the higher uh, tertile, et cetera, or much, so I think it's a neglected area. Um, so I think focusing mm-hmm. on cardi- cardiovascular fitness is, is crucial. Um, do you do much or have much or pay much attention to uh, heart rate variability and, and tracking? And if so, how do you how do you follow that? I don't do much. Um, even with my professional athletes, I, I very rarely do it. So because for me, it's it's not worth the time exchange. Right. So it typically takes them time. They have to think about it. They've got to log stuff. They've got to pay attention to it. And I'm not against it. Some of the athletes that I work with. They enjoy it. They like that stuff. They get into it. So you decide it. But to me, it's a triage situation where you have endless possible things you could track, you could measure, you could monitor. And at some point, um, whether it's an athlete or it's a, it's a normal person, if it's giving them anxiety, if it's driving them away from the practice because they're so like, oh, my God, I have to do all this work. I don't have time. I've got to get my kids from work. i got to get back to work. Like, it's just, I'm just... Well, then it's not worth the small amount of information we can get. I honestly have found in my years, if I just ask them something like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel today? That typically gives me the exact same answer, if not better answers, than their, their HRV does anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. So the HRV is a little more accurate, usually, but it's, it's, it's such a small difference, typically, that it's not worth the additional effort for the vast majority of people. So if my advice for the normal person is if this is something you're super into and you just love it, man, awesome. You could maybe pick up on a few things, but if, if you don't want to add these things to your equation, you could be just fine without it. Yeah, good point, good point. Yeah, and then today's tech society, it's easy to get inundated with a million data points and then you get paralysis of analysis. So I, I, I agree. I, I'll keep it simple right. as much as you can. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I've, I've got a book out on the topic. It states my position pretty clearly. But oh, really? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's called Unplugged. Oh, um, yeah. I've, yep, I've heard of your book. I was, I've been meaning to buy it. So uh, I know it's, came, it's been out for a couple years now, or is it newer? Uh, yeah, no, it came out last summer. Last summer. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so July. So, um, yeah, again, I'm not against technology at all. I'm actually a very, very pro-technology, but we have to understand how... Uh, the pros and cons, and, and then we have to weigh those pros and cons, just like we would do with anything else. So that's really what it's about. Um, they're not as accurate as you think, and they can often drive worse behavior. Yeah, I hear so you. we have to make sure we're using it appropriately. Many of my uh, my patients and clients, especially you know men and women, but certainly the women, of course, we're always talking about fat loss. Um, I loved your videos on that, and I was also <laughs> and I was also going to talk to you about. You had a nice uh, comment, and I don't know if it was a video or a podcast. You're talking about uh, optimization versus adaptation and being metabolically flexible, and and vice versa. I thought that was well said. Uh, I guess I wanted to to talk to you a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, sure. Which one you want to go into first? So you know, the optimization versus adaptation. I mean, I guess they're related, but you know, like you said, if you're uh, optim, you know, you're optimizing 100%, you're you're missing out on some adaptation, and vice versa. So I guess I just wanted to have you expand on that a little bit for my listeners. Sure. I think another way to think about this is 
um, balancing immediate with delayed gratification. And so if we take this from a nutrition, we take this from a lifestyle or an exercise, it doesn't really matter. It's the exact same thing. We all understand, say, with our nutrition, that we have to balance immediate gratification with long-term gratification. So if I do too much immediate gratification, uh, which means I do things that make me feel the best uh, absolutely right now, that hurts us long-term. So an example would be, yes, you probably want to eat pizza right now and you probably want to have ice cream tonight, and you probably want to stay up and drink wine tonight, and that's going to make you feel good right now. But you know if that's all you did and you did that every single time, that that would have long-term consequences. That would be long-term bad for your health. The the inverse of that is if you always deny gratification, and you always choose delayed gratification, so no, no, I'm not going to have pizza, I'm not going to have wine ever because it's bad for my health. Well, if you always choose that, then you're never going to be present. You're never going to live in the moment. And it typically means that's an unsustainable practice. Right. And so people end up binging like that. They end up breaking. They end up falling completely off the wagon. If they're too stringent. So with my optimization versus adaptation, it's really saying, okay, look, most of the time I'm going to choose delayed gratification. But I've got to balance that with immediate gratification. And... All I have to do is shift that scale a little bit in one direction, and, and I'll probably be able to meet my goals while still enjoying my life, while still having long-term adherence. Um, and, and so that's really what that whole optimization, adaptation stuff is about. So when you're optimizing for the now, and you're optimizing for what's immediately good for you, you're actually circumventing long-term. In terms of exercise, I mean, the thing that will make you perform the absolute best physically tomorrow is 100% rest, right? But if right. all you did was 100% rest, that, that, that's now, you're now sedentary. You're now out of right. shape, right? Exactly. exactly. Uh, but if, if all you did was train extremely hard, you'd be so, um, you know, you right. train so much for the long-term adaptation, you'd be so fatigued for tomorrow, you wouldn't be able to actually perform well. Okay. So that's really what I mean by that concept, is just balancing, you know, that immediate versus delayed gratification. Yep. I like that. Yeah, that's well said, well said. Where are you, uh, I guess it obviously depends on the, on the person. I know there's been some conversations, you, you know, I've had, I'm sure, I know you've had, I think, on a couple of different podcasts, Joe Rogan, et cetera, talking about a lot of people are, you know, big on the keto world versus, uh, you, know, different, you know, carbs are bad, carbs are evil, carbs are good, carbs are bad kind of thing. <laughs> you hear it, I mean, I hear it all day, and I know you do as well. I think for me it's all about being metabolically flexible and having, uh, you know, just you know, eat for what you're training for, et cetera, and, and, and everybody's different, but... Uh, you have an overarching theme that you that you uh, address that topic with, or, or um... yeah, I think the easiest way to summarize this is a couple of things. Number one, there is just overwhelming evidence that either one of those approaches is totally fine. Uh, some of them have slight differences, but it could not be more clear that one is just not massively and always better than another. Right. If you're saying that, if you're hearing that, if you're thinking that, immediately run away from that conversation because it's flat out wrong in every single case. Right. right. Um, so there are some things that are, the way I like to help most people think about this is, is protein is not really a fuel source for energy. Okay. Protein is needed actually for many physiological things in the body. Uh, it's an important. 
carbohydrates and fat are wasted to your fuel source. So what portion of carbs versus fat you tend to pick, it's not irrelevant, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as people think because those two are fairly interchangeable, especially if you're not an athlete. Then, you know, if you want to alter the percentage of your energy coming from carbs or fat, it doesn't really play a huge role. It's pretty easy to, to get energy from both of those places. Um, the vast majority of people, it's not going to matter. So uh, I think there's, there's a, I think it's, it's clear there is a larger person-to-person difference than there is global difference in these two things. So what I mean by that is uh, globally, it doesn't matter, but individually it might. So if you try a high-carb, low-fat approach and you feel fantastic, well, there is excellent clinical, there's molecular, there's cellular data to support it, that's great. If you've tried the opposite, there's also equal evidence. So really, what do you feel best doing? What do you want to do? What fits your lifestyle? Yep. Um, what fits your preferences? What fits your ethic, ethical background? What fits your culture? Like, th- those things, to me, are, are just really not that important. Um, yep. For an athlete, we're having a different conversation right now, but that's, that's my typical stance is, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. As long as protein is equated and as long as overall calories are accounted for um, and you're at your goals, you're at your energy goals, you're at your um, mental performance goals, you're at your uh, body mass, body weight goals, and hey, if you want to go a little more fat or a little bit less carb, um, and sort of also under the caveat, in both cases, as long as you're centered on eating whole, real food, and I don't really care. Right. I mean, that's the stuff that matters for most people. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And that's, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate that, and I, I kind of tell people the same way. There's a million ways to do it, but what works for you? You know, everybody got the end of one, right? So, yeah. Um, anything? And you, actually, another, another piece I want to add to that actually is, um, I don't. I, I mean, I do understand, but I think it's it's a bad understanding to think that you have to choose one. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to eat low carb or high carb, and then like that's it. That's your one decision, and you only get to make the decision once the rest of your life. Right. Like, right. That's you can point. change every day. Yeah, you can change day. in a week. You can change in a month. Go one week, week or go a month keto, then go a month off keto. Go like you have the freedom to do whatever you want, and you can do multiple of them. So, yeah, I um, agree. That, that's what we have to understand. Yeah, and I think the same thing applies to things like fasting and things like that. I mean, I, I think I don't like the rigid structure. Some people like that. Like for me, I'm like you. It's like some days I'll eat you know, that way. In other ways, I'll use a different way. Someday, maybe I'll do a fast here and there, a short one, and then and yeah. I'm going to do it for a while. Just, you know, I think the body, just it, it's good to keep it sharp and keep it moving and guessing. I don't think it's good to stick with any one thing for a long time. I think that's just my my take on it. But No, I, I totally agree. In terms of your energy from carbs versus fat, I, I agree. Like, we should probably have the ability to use both if you are, um, I mean, I think a good litmus test, I'll give, I'll give you maybe a practical example. If, uh, if you can go, say, 12 hours without eating, and after 12 hours you're, you feel like your blood sugar is crashing and you can't think and your energy is really low, well, then you're probably not very good at using fat as a fuel because 12 hours is not, should not be physiologically difficult. Right. That's I mean, you might feel hungry, but it should be super easy. Right. Okay. Uh, so that's a quick test. If you're like, okay, I tried a 15-hour fast, and oh, my God, like everything tanked. Well, yeah. then maybe you should learn to use fat as a fuel source. But yeah. the inverse, 
if I give you, say, 40 or 50 grams of carbohydrate at once, and you just, your face hits the table, you feel sluggish, you're like, oh my God, I feel awful. Well, then you're probably not very good at using carbohydrate as a fuel. Right. So ideally, we have the flexibility to where we can run back and forth depending on what's better, what's more optimal in our current position. And for most people who don't have a very specific training or performance goal, uh, being in that flexible position is, is probably where we should lie. Yep. Well said. Do you have any um, different modalities you use for uh, the clients that are female clients versus male clients when it comes to uh, weight loss or fat loss, whether it be with fasting, training methods, uh, nutritional strategies, anything like that? What's what what you focus on there? Not really, honestly. I think um, I think there's there's a bigger difference, and, and the data will support me here. There's a bigger person-to-person difference than there is gender-to-gender difference. So yep. what I mean by that is if you had two people walk in a room and they're just random people and you blocked out gender, you're more likely to see a bigger difference in what you need to prescribe to them just based on the fact that they're two different people mm-hmm. more than if they were you know, one male versus female. And, and right. so to me, I don't, I don't think it's super important to have different guidelines for the different genders with a couple of exceptions. Uh, I think at the level of individual person, that, that's the bigger deal than than their gender. Right. Uh, and, and there's a couple of small differences there, which, uh, like one example is, it typically looks like right now women don't handle ketogenic as well as men do. Mm-hmm. Um, women typically look like they do a little bit better on high carbs slash need higher, a little bit higher carb than men, but uh, I know plenty of women who just do fine on low carb. So, right. Right. again, it's more of a difference from person to person than is gender, but at the global scale, it, it does seem to look like women don't do as well on the very, very low end of the carb spectrum. Low carb may be okay, but very, very low carb might be a bit difficult for someone. Yeah, and I've, that's kind of in line with what I've seen and read too. Uh, what about training? I know obviously with uh, with weight training, women obviously they can have a better uh, work capacity, can, can certainly hit the little longer duration. But in terms of like cardio and things like that, I've you know some. Some studies will say, you know, women do, some women do better with more high-intensity intervals, others do more, more long, slow cardio, but again, it kind of goes back to what works for you, what you like to do, what do you, you know, if they hate, if they hate doing one thing, X, they're not going to do it, they're going to do Y, but um, any, what's your take on that in terms of training? I agree, I mean, I'm, I'm on point entirely. Uh, I think, as I said earlier, I think people should, just like I recommended with their nutrition, be a little bit more well-rounded and do different things. Um, they should do that with their exercise, ideally. But I would rather you do uh, one form of exercise that's not you know, optimally time efficient. I would rather you do that than no exercise at all. Yeah. <laughs> so we always have to balance that. So what do people want or willing, what are people willing to do adherence, that's number one. Then if you can get past that, uh, more variety is probably better, but we have to be realistic too. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't going to talk too much about supplements. I was going to say that for another time, but there was one uh, that I wanted to ask you about. I don't know what's your take. I've only just kind of piqued my interest. I only read a couple of quick studies on it in terms of it was uh, for endurance training, you know, some uh, using bicarb, sodium bicarb, or, or you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, that was used, seems like it was used for some time, kind of went away, and now it seems like it's kind of a few more people are using it. Have you, have you uh, used that much at all or no much with your oh, sure. or no? Yeah, yeah, and I can actually tell you why. So, um, I worked on some of these studies oh, almost 15 years ago now, 
And the effectiveness and efficacy of sodium bicarbonate for endurance performance has always been there. Uh, it works. It works pretty well, and we've known that. The problem was a decade or 15 years ago, uh, it was terrible for your, your digestive system. Right. And so a lot of people would take it and get explosive diarrhea or worse or things like this. Right. They had to go, it took them about a decade to go back, kind of reformulate it, fix it, um, you know, fix the the bicarbonate or the other stuff to make it there. So it's resurfaced now because they've generally fixed that problem. So the vast majority of the products on the market now are are very easy or a lot easier on the stomach. Right. And so they're equally effective, but, but that's typical why you saw that. So it's interesting that you, that you picked up on that because it did have that swing. Yeah, and that's kind of what I've read, too, is that, like you said, the GI. So a lot of some sources have said, obviously, to kind of space it out throughout the day, the day of an event, or I don't know, I haven't really looked too much at specific products. I don't know if, the reason I'm curious is, uh, I, you know, as I mentioned, my son runs, you know, cross-country track. So I was thinking, huh, what else can I give him to <laughs> help his perform? I've never tried yeah. the bike carb, so I'm going to have to look into that. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, that's a good way. I mean, beta alanine is also typically very effective and probably the the place I would rather start. You can also look into um, any arginine-based product, so uh, beetroot juice, uh, beetroots themselves, or the extract. Those things um, typically have a pretty decent... Um, it wasn't very good a decade ago, but now uh, more and more research has come on those things. So those, those are a good place to start. I would probably, honestly, if I were you, go to those two before sodium bicarbonate, but you could you could start off with, with easy stuff um, in terms of sodium bicarbonate, and, and there's a lot of stuff out there, so just, yep. just look for high quality, look for, you know, NSF and third-party tested and certified stuff, that's that's typically going to you know, be a better place to start. Yeah, absolutely, no, and I like beta alanine, I'm going to take that myself, and obviously you got to uh, take it for, you know, several weeks or more to, to get that effect, but uh, kind of like creatine, mm-hmm. another great one, which I'm a big fan of, I know you are as well, so. Um, right. Uh, you, let's see, you've probably got to run here in a few minutes, correct? Um, any, yeah. any other challenges you're facing right now or any new projects on your horizon real quick? We've got a ton. I mean, we've got a very large trial that we're starting, um, I mean, right now on uh, intermittent fasting, uh, and specifically like a 16-8 uh, time-restricted feeding protocol. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, not now, but you, when, when you're done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're just getting started, so there's not much to talk about now, but uh, we're looking at that and specifically its effect on muscle mass. So uh, we know it, there's some benefits to it, there's some consequences to it, but no one's really looked at well, what happens if you're trying to add muscle mass. Interesting. So, That'd be a great study. Yeah, that's what really what we're after. Interesting. It'd be interesting, too, to look at the timing, because I know a lot of people do, you know, will train and eat when they're lifting, and then the next day maybe do a fast the following day thinking, well, I'm not training I'm going to fast, but my thought is, well, that muscle protein synthesis problem, I mean, you're getting most of it in the 24 hours, but are you still building at, you know, the 48-hour mark or less, or, or does that affect that fasting or not? I, I don't know. Uh, that was just something I yeah. was thinking. Yeah, well, we're going to see. We're going to have a lot of those questions answered here soon. Hmm. Well, good. Well, good, good. Well, hey, I know you have to run, but tell uh, tell folks and my listeners where they can find you and, and read your work. I've, uh, I'll mention, your, obviously, your YouTube videos, uh, andygalpin.com, any other sites or any other... Uh, Plugs you want to get in? <laughs> yeah, sh- sure. The the book is you know called Unplugged, and that's uh, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. So you can check that out if you want to hear read a little bit more about fitness technologies and, and things like that. If you're into that, um, the social media is just Dr. Andy Galpin, so Dr. Andy Galpin, and Twitter and Instagram and all that. And then uh, of course, um, you can visit my Patreon 
account. So it's just uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Andy Galpin. And I, what I try to do there, and the goal is to take uh, all of my university lectures and to put those up there for free. And so if you're unfamiliar with Patreon, basically the model is my goal is to get as much of this health, nutrition, performance, education out there to the world, and many people can, aff- can afford it, many people can't. And so the videos are free, everything is free, everything is 100% free, it will always be 100% free. But um, That's awesome. because of, you, mentioned, you mentioned the graphics and all that stuff earlier, um, I mean, I do have a guy that helps me with all that stuff, and so I have to pay him. I have to pay my students um, to help me buy the time to, to make these videos because, you know, some of these videos are two and a half hours long. Or oh, whatever. sure. Absolutely. So really what the, what the model does is it's a donation thing, and so people can go and donate to the project, if you will, and what that does is it effectively subsidizes somebody else's education. So, um, you know, if you're a professional out there and you're like, oh, man, I just watched... You know, five hours of free exercise physiology education to Andy. Uh, right. You know, here's 20 bucks. Yeah. If someone else can't afford that information. You're basically subsidizing their education. So. Right. I think uh, if I don't, I don't keep any, I don't keep any of that money. I don't keep a dollar of it. Uh, 100% of that money goes back into the videos, or goes back into again paying my students, so they can go teach my class, or they can go to something else for me, so I can cut out for half a day and make some videos for people. So. Right. It's not a money-making operation. It's 100% um, just trying to help that stuff up there. So any support to that Patreon account uh, would be greatly appreciated. So the more that's in there, the more time I can buy and the more videos I can make. That's awesome. No, I think that's fantastic you do that. Yeah, I'm not real familiar with Patreon, but I, will, I for one, would be glad to, to donate because I've watched uh, you know, a handful of your videos, and I'm sure obviously I'll put some links and things on the, uh, about you on my page, etc. So I uh, encourage others to do the same. It's pretty easy, just, you know, patreon.com and for Andy Galpin, and you can pay with PayPal or whatever you want to do, and you can make just a donation, or you can, uh, what a lot of people like to do is sign up uh, per video, and so say you say, I want to give 10 bucks per video or something, and if I don't put a video out, you don't get charged anything, but if I put a video out, you know, your 10 bucks comes out of your credit card or whatever you want it to be, so... Uh, and okay. you can also set a limit. So you're like, I don't want to pay more than no more than twenty bucks a month. Okay, great. So gotcha. I put gotcha. out two videos at ten bucks, you're great. But if I put out ten, you still only get charged twenty bucks. So sure. it's a very flexible model and um honestly I think it's the model of the future. Yeah. Where people can contribute. Like so simple. awesome. Yeah, well, so yeah, certainly appreciate your support or anybody else's on there. I'd be glad to do that. Absolutely. I will spread the word and I thank you so much for your time. It's been a great I, I know you gotta run, so uh, maybe I'll Love to have you back on sometime. I'm sure we could talk for hours. I love this stuff, and I, I know you do as well. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man, and keep fighting the good fight yourself to get this good information out there. So it's a pleasure to connect. Thanks, Andy. You too. I'll, t- I'll keep in touch, and uh, have a good week. Okay, we'll see you later. All right, thank you. Bye-bye.